Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be together this morning. Whether you are here in person or you're joining us online, it is so good to be together. My name is Wes Hodgson, and I have the privilege of being a part of our staff team here at Ebenezer. And if you can tell by the sound of my voice, I'm fighting a little something. So you could uh, maybe pray that my, my voice holds up here for the third service. But uh, yeah, we are continuing in our Going Public series on evangelism. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Peter and Cornelius found in Acts chapter 10. So if you have your Bible and would like to follow along that way, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. The verses will be up behind me as well. But as we do this, why don't we just begin our time in prayer together? Hmm. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, God, and we thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you have promised to be there with them. So Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your presence here this morning and we say thank you. Lord Jesus, it is the desire of our heart that we would know you, that we would walk with you in a deeper way, and that we would come into a greater awareness of, of who you are and how you're working in our lives. No matter where we are at this morning, God, whether we are passionate and devoted followers of you, or maybe we are just curious and we're not really sure all of what this Christianity thing means, I pray that you would meet us where we are at, God. I pray that you would use these words and use them in such a way that it builds up your church and that it brings honor and glory to your name. I also pray just over myself, Lord, that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit. I acknowledge I can do nothing apart from you I also pray specifically over my voice that you will give me strength and grace. And I just entrust this time to you, Lord Jesus. May you be honored. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And all God's people said, Amen. When I say the word evangelism to you, what kinds of thoughts or feelings does that evoke within you? Do you have thoughts like a Billy Graham crusade? Does it evoke fear, perhaps seeing an angry street preacher or something to that effect? Or does it make you feel a little bit awkward, right? Like when the JWs or the Mormons, they come by your house and they're knocking at the door and like, we're not home. It's like, shoot, why did I say it? <laughs> right? What, what evokes within you when you hear that word evangelism? You see, for a lot of us, I think it has become an awkward, fearful thing that we all know that we need to do as Christians, but we often feel ill-equipped or unmotivated. But my hope for this morning's message is to hopefully help us see that sharing our faith should not be a fearful thing, nor should it be an awkward thing. Rather, it is something that we should do in deep connection with and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Our message for this morning is called Our Deep Need for the Spirit. And as I have said, we will be in Acts chapter 10 today. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you will know how prominently the role of that the Holy Spirit plays in establishing and guiding the newly formed church. We see in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit comes upon the church in the upper room and the power of God causes them to speak in different tongues as they share the good news of Jesus with others. 
We also see in Acts chapter 4 how after Peter and John are released from prison, the early church prays, and this is what they pray, Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. The Holy Spirit is a common theme throughout the book of Acts. The early church is birthed by the Spirit, they heal by the Spirit, they proclaim the gospel by the Spirit, and they build a countercultural community by the Spirit. And this is exactly what Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Throughout the New Testament, we see that the kingdom of God does not move forward without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in our passage today, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding the Apostle Peter to a Roman officer named Cornelius. So now, by the time that we get to Acts chapter 10, the church has only been around for about five to eight years or so. The church began in Jerusalem, but over time began to spread due to persecution. And now the story moves from Jerusalem and it goes into two cities located along the coastline of the Mediterranean, Caesarea and Joppa. Caesarea was a city located along the northern coast that served as a military and government hub for the Roman Empire in Judea. And Joppa was also a port city along the Mediterranean, about 50 kilometers south of Caesarea, in what is right now around modern-day Tel Aviv. And this is where our story takes place, and in Acts chapter 10, it begins this way, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. You see, our story begins with introducing us to a man named Cornelius. Luke, who is the author of Acts, tells us that he was a centurion, Cornelius, in the Italian regiment. Now, a centurion was a very high-ranking official within the Roman army, commanding upwards of about a hundred soldiers. We also know that centurions were paid quite well, earning an average of about five times a normal soldier's pay. So Cornelius is a wealthy and influential leader within the Roman army. And we can also see from our text, though, that he is not Jewish. But Luke states that he was devout and God-fearing that he gave generously and prayed consistently. So here we have a man who is much like Lydia in chapter 16 that Pastor Santosh looked at, looked at a few weeks ago. Here we have a person who is not of Jewish descent, but who has come to respect and honor the one true God. 
And we don't know everything that has led Cornelius to this point where he is worshiping and serving Yahweh, but God has clearly been at work in his life leading him to this place. And the first point that I want us to see today is this. The Holy Spirit is preparing people's hearts to respond. The Holy Spirit is preparing people's hearts to respond. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives long before we ever make a decision to trust and follow Christ. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. As our lives are being formed inside of our mother's womb, the scriptures beautifully portray God's intimate knowledge and awareness of our lives. The psalmist uses very personal language to describe God's creative process. He says, you knit me together. My frame was not hidden from you. My days were written in your book. You see, before we ever know God, God knows us. Before we ever pursued God, God has been pursuing us. The Holy Spirit is active and at work in our lives, moving us to a place of faith and surrender to Christ. But just like the preparatory work that goes into building a new house, there is preparation that needs to happen in a person's heart and life before they're ready to come to the place to surrender to the love of God. <clears throat> Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, he describes this process of unbelief to faith as a series of many decisions. Through the working of the Spirit and the faithful witnessing of God's people, a person sees the beauty and the truth of the gospel lived out in front of them, and in the process, the Holy Spirit prepares their hearts. He writes the following, In a post-Christendom setting, more often than not, people simply do not have the necessary background knowledge to hear a gospel address and immediately understand who God is, what sin is, who Jesus is, and what repentance and faith are in a way that enables them to make an intelligent commitment. Therefore, most people in the West need to be welcomed into community long enough for them to hear multiple expressions of the gospel, both informal and formal, from individuals and teachers. He then looks at a kind of progression that a, a person might go through in these many decisions of coming to faith. The first step he outlines is awareness. Okay, at this stage, a person begins to clear away the stereotypes in their minds of what a Christian actually is, and they begin to distinguish between the gospel and merely religion. They may say things like, well, you know, she's religious, but she's surprisingly open-minded, or there's like a lot of just really nice and normal people at that church. <laughs> the second stage would be called relevance. Here they begin to see the power of how the gospel actually works in real life. They might say things like, you know, Jesus really seems to be the key. I'd like to learn more about him. Or a lot of things that the Bible says actually relates or refers to me. 
third stage he describes as credibility. It says here the person sees the gospel as a real event rooted in history and not just a hopeful story. They might say things like, I see that the Bible is actually historically accurate, or there really were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, or I see now why Jesus had to die. It was the only way. The fourth stage he describes is commitment. And at this point, this person is ready to take that step of faith. They might say things like, I am a sinner and I need a savior, or I understand that there are costs to this, but I am going to trust and follow Jesus. It is through this preparatory work of the Holy Spirit that draws people, right? The Holy Spirit causes these little decisions along the way, moving a person closer and closer to a place of repentance and faith. And this is what we see happening to Cornelius. God has clearly been at work in his life, leading him to this place where he's ready to hear the message. He's so ready that God sends an angel to direct the apostle Peter to come and preach the gospel. And this is where our story continues in verse 9. <clears throat> At about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. He cont it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Well, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So here we have now the Apostle Peter. He's become one of the main leaders of the early church, and he's staying in the port city of Joppa. And he goes up on the roof of this house to pray. And while he is praying, he, God releases a vision to him. And in this vision, he sees heaven opening up. And he sees all these different kinds of animals coming down out of heaven as if on some kind of sheet. <clears throat> and he hears a voice saying to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now we need to remember that Peter is a traditionally Jewish man. He is not allowed to eat any of these kinds of animals that he is seeing in this vision. This is against Jewish law. But here he hears the voice tell him, Do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And so while all of this is happening, Cornelius' men, they arrive to where Peter is. And the Holy Spirit instructs Peter, says, Don't hesitate to go with them. I have sent them to you. So the story continues. And Peter goes with these men back to Caesarea. He makes the 50-kilometer journey north to meet Cornelius. And there he's gathered a whole group of his family, extended family, friends, his whole household. And he has them all waiting there in his house, ready and waiting to listen to Peter. And as Peter arrives, Cornelius responds in verse 30. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. 
And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to the, everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Just imagine what this would be like for the Apostle Peter. Just try and put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Right here, you have Peter, who is one of the main leaders of the early church, and he is being led by divine implementation, right? He sees this open vision from heaven, and then the Spirit tells him, go with these men. And what he realizes is that this man over here has had an angelic encounter calling for Peter to come to him. Like, just put yourself there. This is an amazing event. This is an amazing encounter that, that Peter is having right now. But if you read through the Gospels, you will know that Peter has not always been the most saintly messenger. Just look at this one event from the life of Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give him a few different answers. And then he turns the question back to them and says, well, in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 16, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, well, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Wow. Okay. This is quite a moment for Peter, right? Jesus throws the test out here to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one. And Jesus is like, bang on, Peter. You got it. Nailed the test. And then he goes from there and he says, not only did you nail the test, but I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name is Peter, which is the rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whew, come on. This is a good day for Peter, right? He nails the test from his rabbi, and then his rabbi tells him, your name's no longer Simon, it's Peter. Your new name is The Rock, <laughs> okay? Like, this is an awesome moment. This is a great, your new name is The Rock. Like, come on, that's, a, that's amazing. This is so cool. And you can imagine that Peter is probably starting to feel himself a little bit in this moment, right? I mean, come on. The Son of God just called me the rock. This is a good day. I'm, I'm kind of a big deal, right? Like this is, this is the moment that Peter is having. And you can imagine he's letting it get to his ego a little bit. And how do I know this? Well, just keep reading on. Jump your, lower your verses, lower your eyes down to the next verses in 21. Just a few verses later. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely 
human concerns. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to suffer and die, but that three days after that, he will rise from the dead. He's telling them all that this is what's going to happen. And what does Peter do? He takes Jesus, the Lord, aside and begins to rebuke him, right? After all, he's the rock, right? He's the leader of the church. Like, Jesus, we got to have time out here. We didn't talk about this. You got to run things by me. I'm the rock, right? You're not going to die. You're the Messiah. You're not, you're not going to get killed. You're, you're the Savior. That, that, that's never going to happen, Lord. And how does Jesus respond to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so in verse 18, Jesus gives Simon a new name, Peter, and says, you're the rock. Five verses later, now Jesus is saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. In the span of five verses, Peter has gone from the rock of the church to the devil. This went from a very, very good day to a very bad day, very, very quickly, right? You could imagine Peter kind of has his tail between his legs after that one. This like, man, I, I thought everything was going good. And then he called me the devil. And it's like, this is a, this is a bad day, right? So why do I bring up this embarrassing story in Peter's life? The reason I bring it up is because all of us can relate to Peter. All of us can relate to Peter. One moment you think you got this figure, you got this following Jesus thing figured out. You know what to do. I've like, I got this thing. I've, I've, no, no, I know what I'm doing here. Been walking with the Lord for a while. I know what I'm doing. And then five minutes later, you say something totally stupid or sinful and you're just, you're sitting there and you're just going like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Like, oh my word, am I even saved? How could I have just done that? Like, I know better than what am I doing? And all of us can relate to this, right? And what I want us to see in the life of Peter is just how faithful God is to him amid that journey. And this is our second point for this morning. The Holy Spirit is preparing our hearts to share. Just as the Holy Spirit was preparing Cornelius to receive the gospel, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to share the gospel, to be people who embody the good news of Jesus. Throughout the ups and downs of our lives, God is faithful. He is working on us. He is patiently and kindly working to refine us and make us more like Jesus. Philippians 1.6 puts it this way, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. God had begun a good work in Peter's life, period. It didn't matter that Peter was arrogant and abrasive. It didn't matter that Peter would deny Jesus right after he said, I will never deny you, Lord. And then Jesus is at his most vulnerable moment of his entire life, and Peter bails. He denies him entirely. It didn't matter. God had begun a good work in Peter's life, and God was going to see it through to the end. And this is what we see happening in our story. The gospel had been spreading rapidly for a few years now, but it still had not reached the Gentiles in any meaningful or focused way. Jesus had been clear, this gospel was to go to the ends of the earth. But 
up until this point in the book of Acts, it has only been reaching those within the Jewish tradition. And so God, in his love and in his mercy, he reaches down to Peter and he shows him this vision of the animals and declares to Peter, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And as Cornelius is sharing this experience with Peter about seeing the angel and asking them to call for him, and as Peter is, is, this is all being unpacked to him and he's sitting there and he's hearing the story, he then responds in verse 34. Acts 10, 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation those who fear him and who do what is right. I now realize, Peter says. Now he sees it. Now he gets it. What was before, he was just thinking, this gospel is for the Jewish people. He's our Messiah. And he's right in that. But up until that point, it hadn't clicked for him of like, oh, this is for everyone. This is for the entire world. This is not just for the people who I deem to be clean. This is for everyone because God has made them clean. Now he gets it. Now he understands. It took, P it took time for Peter to realize this. It took the Holy Spirit working within his heart before he was ready to make this next step. And that same Holy Spirit that was working in Peter's heart is still working in our hearts today as well. If God had begun a good work in Peter's life and neither arrogance nor denying Jesus stopped God from continuing to work in Peter's life, then you can have confidence that God is not done working in your life either. God had opened Peter's heart to recognize that this message was for everyone who would believe. And he begins to share with Cornelius' household the good news about Jesus. Verses 39 through 42. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. As Peter is sharing the gospel with this family, the Holy Spirit comes upon them because they are ready and open and willing to receive this message. And as I, I, I literally, as Peter is preaching the sermon, the Holy Spirit comes and says, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues and praising God. Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon and the Holy Spirit just drops in the room and fills them. It's this incredible moment. And it, throughout the story of Acts chapter 10, we see the undeniable role that the Holy Spirit plays from preparing Cornelius to hear the message, from preparing Peter to share the message, to filling the people once they receive the message. The Holy Spirit cannot be left out of the equation as we seek to be God's witnesses here in our day and time. Now, maybe the thought of sharing your faith is intimidating for you. Or maybe it feels awkward. 
But I hope you can see from our story today that evangelism is not something that we do alone. We are to share our faith in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So as we close our message for this morning, I want to leave you with two thoughts. Number one, be encouraged. God is at work in the lives of those around you, preparing them, softening their hearts, leading them through your prayers to a place where they might be ready to be open and receive and hear about Jesus. So keep praying for them. Keep being a loving witness. Don't give up or lose hope. God is at work in their lives. Secondly, be open. God is also at work in your life by his spirit softening you, (laughs) working off your rough edges. He is seeking to refine and remake you in this image of his son, Jesus. He's chipping away at you and he's working to, to open your mind and heart to the truth of who he is. And as you allow the Holy Spirit to do that, as you allow that process of sanctification to occur in your life, you don't, you don't fight it, you don't push it away, you, you yield to God's leading and allow him to refine you. As you do that, mo- sharing your faith It moves from a place of being like, oh man, yeah, I got to do this thing for God. It moves it to a place where I'm now walking in step with the Holy Spirit and I'm doing this with God. I'm being empowered and led by the Holy Spirit and I'm I'm not doing this for God, I'm doing it with God. He's with me and he's, he's guiding me every step of the way and he's preparing hearts and he's making a way and I just have to step out in obedience. This is, and so I encourage you to be open and along those lines, I simply want to challenge you this week. If, pray for an opportunity to share with maybe one other person in your work or in your school or in your family or whatever circle of influence you have. Pray for one opportunity to Maybe even just share with someone like, I'm a person of faith. I'm a follower of Jesus. Or to, or to share that like, I'm part of a Christian community. That, 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 that can be just a very simple first step to take. But you never know how God might be preparing the hearts of the people already around you. Before we close out our time this morning, we are going to move into a time of communion together. And I would ask those, if you did not receive the elements on your way in, I would just ask that if you did not receive that, if we could have our ushers who would be willing to help just distribute those, if you'd be willing to raise your hand, if you do not have uh, one of these little communion packets, if you could just please raise your hand nice and high, our ushering team will make sure that you, you get one of those so that we can partake together. And while the ushers are helping you with that, While they're doing that, I just want to remind you that once a month, we take up a benevolence offering here at Ebenezer. And this is an offering that we collect. And this is separate from all of our normal operating costs as a church. The money collected from this offering goes directly to help meet different people's needs, whether they are a part of our church family or they're just part of our wider community in Saskatoon or the surrounding area. So if you you came prepared to give towards that, you can give that to, um, there are a couple of black boxes attached to the back wall as you exit the worship center. So if you came prepared to, and would like to give towards that, 
that's the best spot where you can drop your gift there. So I just wanted to direct your attention to that. The story that we read in Acts chapter 10 today, this is a very significant turning point in the life of the early church. This was the main pivotal event where they realized formally as a church structure that those who were non-Jewish could also call upon Jesus as their Messiah. It was the moment where they realized that this gospel was for every tribe, every language, every nation, every tongue. And it was because of this moment here in Acts chapter 10 that it opened up the door for the continued spread of the gospel around the world. And now you and I are here some 2,000 years later because someone along the way shared the message of Jesus with you. They shared to you the truth that the death of Jesus atoned for your sin and that his resurrection was for your hope but also for your future resurrection as well. So as we take communion today, I would simply ask that you would be mindful of the ones who first introduced you to Jesus. Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a coworker, whoever it may be. Who are the people who first told you about God's love? And I would just ask that you'd be mindful of that as we partake in communion together. But let's pray now before we partake together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to your table to eat and dine with you. Thank you that we are called. Thank you that we are invited. Thank you that you welcome us in. Thank you that the gospel is not simply for one group of people, but it is for every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. Thank you that you welcome all of us through your cleansing and redemptive blood. We thank you and we praise you, God. And as we move into our time of communion together, we do so humbly and thankfully. We remember those who you sent to us to share the gospel with us the first time. We thank you for those individuals. We thank you for those communities that loved us and, and shared with us well the truth of who you are. We thank you for that, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now just to peel back the top layer of your elements and that'll reveal the, the wafer. You just want to pull that out. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and with his disciples, he gave it to them, breaking it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for us. Let's partake together. And feel free to pull back the other layer revealing the juice. After supper with his disciples, he took the cup and he shared it with his disciples saying this, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's partake together. Lord Jesus, we, th we thank you for your broken body, that by it we are made whole. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood that you have shed on our behalf, that by your stripes we are healed. May our whole lives be lived as a grateful offering to you, to love the broken world around us just as you loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.